0: couple of things before I get to the sermon, and there's a couple changes. By the way, the other typo that in there is not a typo. It's it's, I sent the wrong word. Uh, It says the sermon is Psalm 40 through 42. We were joking in the office before that the Presbytery told me I was going to preach on a different passage today, but we're in Job 40 um, through 42-ish. I'm tweaking it. We're going to bump most of 42 to next week. I'm leaving some of you hanging on a cliffhanger if you caught it in the previous sermons, but that's a little shift. That's on me. Uh, That's not our amazing team. Praise, by the way, to or applause, by the way, to our tech team and our office crew. Um, (laughs) Thank you, God. uh, They always do an excellent job. The tech team, though, was flying around because my computer decided when I pushed send on the email to not send my notes to anybody, so I started getting texts yesterday are you going to send us that sermon? And I went, well, not until the morning now. uh, I can't do it. It's not in my phone either. So um, it sent it at 8.20 this morning when I turned my computer on. It decided to finally finish sending that email. So they were flying around making all kinds of changes. Um, One of the reasons I highlight that, though, is from the meeting last Sunday, the the, um, day of fasting uh, popped up from that. I'd encourage you, by the way, Uh, I know I have some family members this is true of. If you're not able to fast an entire day without food, um, you can tweak that a little bit. That's a biblical concept of fasting, too. I'd love to talk about that if you ever want to. But however you need to tweak that, go ahead. But if you're able to fast from food completely tomorrow, that'd be excellent. Join us in prayer um, tomorrow night. That'd be wonderful. Also, though, on the 15th, um, as sometimes a typo does happen or not, that just means you need to talk to Randy about helping out on Awana because that's Wednesday. So... Hop in on there. But that was something else that came out of that meeting last night was from one of our church members, a challenge for people to step up and do some ministry roles. Uh, So tech team and kids ministry and our special friends class and youth ministry, especially with our junior hires, as well as some others, including our boards, our deacons. We would love for you to pray about and consider where you could serve and get involved here at Grace. There are a lot of wonderful places to connect, uh, including our Sunday school classes, but also through service. So I would encourage you to pray about and think about that. Going back to last week, I love zoos and I love circuses. So last week was a joy to go through a couple of the animals, more than I'm going to mention now, but the crazy ostrich, no matter what, if that face is looking at you. You are a mixture of terrified because it's really tall and usually angry, but also laughing because that is a goofy face. At least I think it is. Or the worshiping crows from last week. I saw that picture. I didn't make it. I saw that picture and I thought, that's perfect. That person has read Job. Maybe they haven't, but they accidentally stumbled upon where the ravens, the baby ravens are crying out to God the one who is the almighty that provides their food. Of course, you have the mighty lion and its roar, a terrifying sound. If you do not have bars or a rifle or something in between you and that individual, it becomes very scary when you see those teeth and you hear the noise. Or, of course, the King James' unicorn or rhino, rhinocorn, rhinoceros, or the pugicorn, which is up on the screen, whatever it is. We had a little bit of a discussion with uh, one or two of the people in the church after the the 9 a.m. service last week, by the way. The plural of rhinos, I also got a text from my kid, plural of rhinos, so I looked it up, is rhinoceros, like deer, you just keep the word, or rhinoceroses, those are the two most common, but also rhinoceri, Anybody who wanted that? Roy. I've never heard of that in my life, but apparently it's an acceptable one. Taka-O in there, before that I, O-I, or rhinocerotes. But at least one of the people in our church, I think, rightly landed on the definitive answer because it pops up every single year in the song, I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas. And it's, let's see if I can get it right, it's rhinoceroseses. That is the correct plural. Since nobody knows the answer, that's the one that we return to the most because, again, it's in a Christmas song. But it's the beasts of the land and the sea that pop up in our sermon today. And the passages we'll look at today. Even the lion, and I think the crocodile was in there as well. Uh, I didn't call it out, but in chapter 40 and 41, the first part it brings up, I think the crocodile in there. You have some mighty animals. If it's a rhinoceros and not a unicorn, that is a big beast. And yet, the beast, behemoth, the land beast, and leviathan, the sea monster, have not appeared yet. That's in God's answer part two, the one that follows when Job says, I think I'm good. I don't need to speak anymore. God had his first answer. Job says, I'll be quiet literally covers his mouth, and then we get to today. In Job 40 and in 41, we get two true beasts, two beast of beasts, if you would. So let's start at verse 6. This is God's second answer. The Almighty answers the second time. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. It's the same answer that he gave last time. And in verse 6, we're reminded, though, that the Lord, Yahweh, all caps, the Lord, a very personal being in relationship with Job, that he answers. This is what Job asked for. Let the Almighty answer. And then Job 38 through 41 and 42, the responses I'll answer. I've been taking notes. I'm answering with the things you've mentioned. Remember, Joe brought up Leviathan long before. He didn't mention Behemoth. God brings that one up. But the Lord answers. So the emphasis, even in the power of God's answer, needs to be this, that God is listening. That Jesus, the tear collector and the pain journaler, Scripture says that he writes it down, The good shepherd is walking with us and leading us through the valley of the shadow of the problem of pain. Or as Psalms puts it, the valley of the shadow of death. That though God shows up in power and explains his power, think about it, Job is hurting. This isn't the answer that he asked for, but it's the answer that he needs. It'd be easy for God to say, here I am. He's said that throughout scripture, by the way. You don't feel it, you don't believe me, but I'm still here. And instead, God shows up to Job, and he says, here I am in the power that you need to face the pain that you're going through. And it's a challenge. But I think 42, which I'm punting for another week, apologies, but I think 42 points out that it might not be the rebuke that you expect it to be. God's own words leave us wrestling his power, and this response here, who are you, gird yourself, get ready for battle, certainly lead us towards, it's a to rebuke. But his words in chapter 42 leave us wrestling with, is it a rebuke? And we'll get to that, I promise. I won't push it back more than next week, but we're gonna tackle 42 next week. I'm gonna give you a little tease today, though. I'm gonna finish by reading, reading it. But we'll come back to that. But it's the good shepherd, the tear collector, Walking Job through pain, even though it's God Almighty. All of those are true about this moment and every moment with God. He is the God of grace and the God of power. He's the God of justice. He's the God of love. And he is never only one of those. He's always Old Testament to New Testament, all of it, because he's that amazing. And so he says, dress for action like a man. I'm going to read all the way through. It's another heavy dose of scripture. Oh, by the way, did you notice that Psalm 104 sounds like that person had read or was familiar with the story of Job? That's a big psalm. Not just in length, but in connectivity. It's talking about many of the same things we looked at last week. And then it mentions Leviathan, what we're looking at this week. So here we go. Job 40. Picking up, I'll just read six and on again. This is the whole answer, the second answer of the Lord. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you might be right? Have you an arm like God and can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. Behold, behemoth, which I made as I made you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold, his strength in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs like bars of iron. He is the first of the works of God. Let him who made him bring near his sword. For the mountains yield food for him. Where all the wild beasts play, under the lotus plants he lies, in the shelter of the reeds and in the marsh. For his shade the lotus trees cover him, the willows of the brook surround him. Behold, if the river is turbulent, he is not frightened. He is confident, though Jordan rushes against his mouth. Can one take him by his eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you to take him for your servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? Or will you put him on a leash for your girls? Will traders bargain over him? Will they divide him up among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hands on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. Behold, the hope of a man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of him. No one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? Who is first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. I will not keep silence concerning his limbs or his mighty strength or his goodly frame. Who can strip off his outer garment? Who can come near him with a bridle? Who can open the doors of his face around his teeth is terror. His back is made of rows of shields, shut up closely as with a seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another, they clasp each other, and cannot be separated. His sneezes flash forth light, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the dawn. Out of his mouth go flaming torches, sparks of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils comes forth smoke, as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals, and a flame comes forth from his mouth and his neck abides strength, and terror dances before him. The folds of his flesh stick together, firmly cast on him, and immovable. His heart is hard as a stone, hard as the lower millstone. When he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid at the crashing they are beside themselves. Though the sword reaches him, it does not avail, nor the spear, the dart, or the javelin. He counts iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. For him, sling stones are turned to stubble. Clubs are counted as stubble. He laughs at the rattle of javelins. His underparts are like sharp potsherds. He spreads himself like a threshing sledge on the mire. He makes the deep boil like like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. Behind him, he leaves a shining wake. One would think the deep to be white-haired. On earth, there is not his like, a creature without fear. He sees everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. That's God's second answer. The first would have sufficed, by the way, but he's not done. He points out a couple things to Job that he wants him to understand. In all of that, he's still Sometimes, no matter how good the tech team is, they can't outdo batteries that die. That pack's done. In verse 14, he makes an amazing statement. Chapter 40, verse 14. It says, Job, is your hand mighty enough to save you? That's the whole point. Job is in the midst of pain and he can do nothing about it. God's not mocking him, but he's pointing out what we get in the problem of pain if we push God out of it. The problem of pain without God is a problem without an answer. I've said that a couple times through Job, but God makes that statement in his response. He said, Job, I'm not done. It's not just about the animals that I take care of. The whole world that I keep working and and sustain in every moment of every day, it's not just you that I have my attention set on. It is everything that I have my attention set on. And if I were to remove me for a minute it would all fall apart. If that's the truth in every moment of a normal day, how much more the moments of pain? If you think your hand could answer this, you wouldn't be crying out to me. You can't. You are not that strong. So you need to be reminded of my power, that you and your own hand can't save you, but I can. Remove God and we have no deliverance, we have no deliverer, we have no answer, all we have is pain. In the problem of pain, if you think God is not the answer, there is no ideology and there is no entity that steps into God's place and becomes an answer. All you are left with is pain. That's what's got our world so messed up right now. We pushed God aside, and we keep encountering the same pain that we thought he was the producer of. We blamed him and said, it's your fault. It's the song Imagine. Imagine no religion. If we just got rid of religion, we'd be great. We'd have no problems. And we did, and the problems got worse. Part of that is because the stats bear out that religion's not the problem. Bad religion certainly is a problem. There are plenty of stats that show that. When we are abusive in churches and we are abusive towards people in the name of faith, yes, that's a problem, but that's not biblical faith. That's not fidelity to God or his word. And God is pointing out to Job, Job, you have a problem, but I'm still your answer. And then he goes to the beasts of beasts, behemoth, In Leviathan, in chapter 40, verse 15 through 24, we get the behemoth. It is maybe a hippopotamus. That is what some people argue, or an elephant, or a crocodile, or a rhinoceros. But it isn't. If you listen to it, it isn't those things. We keep trying to fit an animal in there. Here's what I know. Job knew what he was talking about. Job knew exactly the animal God was talking about. And the description in there, sorry if I'm trouncing on your favorite book or maybe even a, in a conversation you had with your parents about how it is the hippopotamus. There are plenty of people that argue it. But verse 19, a hippo, the mighty hippo tail. I give you the mighty hippo tail like a cedar. That's not a hippo. I don't want to show you a picture of a hippo tail, but if you look it up, mighty is not what comes to mind. The front end, absolutely. The back end, pure comedy. I don't think that's what's being described. Even in flowery language, I would never land on the mighty hippo tail. And the rhino's tail is even funnier, or at least less intimidating. If you see their tails you're in good shape. If you see their mouths, yes, you're in trouble. As I mentioned, I believe the crocodile has already been dealt with, so it's not that. And an elephant tail, again, there's a couple problems with it. One, an elephant tail is also comical. Now, it could be that it's talking about the trunk, and that would fit. An elephant trunk is like a cedar in flowery terms. But we domesticate elephants. It doesn't always work well for us. They go rogue sometimes, but we domesticate them. That, that's not the animal that seems to be talked about here. It is a beast that is greater than even those beasts. So maybe it's them, but I don't think so. Because in verse 24, it says, can you tame or conquer behemoth? And again, I've seen, I haven't seen a hippo put to work But elephants have, and even crocodiles, maybe it's Florida man, but there's always some guy that seems gutsy enough to jump on the back of a crocodile. It often goes poorly, but we put them in cages. And this animal is one that only God can tame, that only God can put to work, that only God can cage. That's the point. Behemoth is the ultimate grass-feeding land beast. It's the biggest and the most powerful. And yet ultimately, in 40, it's pointing out it's no threat. That's another problem with the hippo and the rhinoceros and the crocodile. Maybe not the elephant. I don't usually, well, no, elephants are pretty threatening if you're in the wrong spot. Yes, we domesticate them. But they're all threats. But this one isn't. It's got all power and no intimidation. Unlike the next one, the behemoth, whatever it was, was mighty as could be on the land, and it ate grass. And Job was used to seeing it, or at least knew the stories of it, one of the two. But God's point is, I control that one. I give it its food. I take care of it. You all leave it alone alone. And that's just like the raven. It's not scary, it's powerful, and I care for it. It's a pet. That's God's point. Then you go to Leviathan in chapter 41. There's a couple things with this one. It would, these would be true of Behemoth as well, but even more of Leviathan. Maybe it's a myth. It's certainly not, in my opinion, any creature that we encounter. You can name a couple. But even if behemoth was something that we just have the wrong name for, we haven't learned which word to translate that with, this one seems different by its description. And I don't think it's only accounted for in exaggerated words. But maybe it's a myth. Maybe God is saying, I can tame even your nightmare beasts in your dreams. Maybe I can tame the, the beasts in the stories that you create, the boogeymen that keep your children in the house when they are tempted to run out in the middle of the night and you want them to be good kids and not sneak out. It's possible. There's a couple problems with that. But it's possible. And I don't have a problem with God saying he can tame our boogeymen. He can tame our nightmares. That would be a powerful enough statement. That certainly would fit, by the way, the ancient stories and the ideologies that viewed the oceans as having a chaos monster. That it was terrifying when your men went out to sea because you didn't know if they'd come back because there's a Leviathan, whatever that would be, that might take them, even if it's just the sinking of a boat. And that God's saying, I tame your chaos monster, that certainly would be in play. But I don't think it fits here because it seems to be talking about a real creature that Job knew or at least again knew of. Those of you like the Bible Project, I bumped into this a couple months ago in one of their podcasts. It pointed out that the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament during the times of Christ, the Septuagint calls it dracon. You might sound or that might sound familiar to one of our words, dragon. It's because it is. It's related. So, the Septuagint, the Bible in Greek, the translation from Hebrew to Greek, so that your average Cornelius in, in Acts, somebody who wasn't Jewish, could read the Old Testament because they didn't know Hebrew. So, they could read it, it was their translation. It was the equivalent of their ESV or King James or NIV or any NASB, whichever one you read. It's their translation of it, and they go with dracon, the sea monster, a sea dragon, because it clearly is in the sea, even though it could also be flying around if you wanted to. But a sea dragon, that's from the Bible Project. They got it from other people as well. Those keeping score, by the way, the King James gave us a unicorn, and the Septuagint gives us a dragon. The Bible's not boring. I don't know what book you're reading if you ever land on boring as your description of it. It is not boring. You can pick any other word. I even tossed out from from time to time with the youth group. If you think it's offensive, that sometimes applies. It is sometimes offensive, especially depending on your view of God. But it's never boring. Even the boring parts at most are meticulous. It's like the law, which sometimes is not an exciting read, but it's very pertinent. So boring does not apply. We have a unicorn, we have a dragon, we have behemoth, we have a Leviathan. Arguably, by the way, if you don't think it's a myth, arguably it's symbolic for a nation. Leviathan and Rahab both get used by scripture to speak of nations, at different points. This is the case in Isaiah 27. If you look it up, it'll say Leviathan, but it's talking about Assyria. We can tell that from the context. It's not talking about an actual beast, Leviathan, it's referencing Assyria as a beast, as Leviathan. But even still, that doesn't seem to be in play in Job or in Psalm 104. Both of those seem to be talking about a real animal that Job and his contemporaries had evidence of, whether they walked with him at the time or they had walked before their time. That behemoth and Leviathan are actual animals that they could, well, that they couldn't be in a zoo would be the point, but they could be in God's zoo. Job seems to be talking about a real and terrifying beast. In verse 7, though, God says this, while you can't catch and kill it and taxidermy it and display it on your walls, I could. You're too afraid of it to conquer it. But I make it a plaything. Verse 9 and 10, it's too terrifying for man. Again, this isn't true even of crocodiles, Maybe hippos, we really don't do anything with hippos except avoid them, other than we do throw them in zoos from time to time. But Leviathan, they couldn't touch, he was too scary. They would remember that battle and it would shake, make them shake in their boots again. Compare that, by the way, to Genesis 2, where we name all the animals, or Genesis 9, Six through nine, really, but nine when they come off the ark, and God says that he's going to strike fear in the animals of man. Something seems to have changed. Maybe Leviathan didn't exist after the flood. Maybe Behemoth didn't exist after the flood. But Job knew of him or walked with him, depending on where you date the book of Job. But it's a different beast, it's a terrifying beast. Little side pops up in verse ten and eleven, by the way. Did you hear the reference to Romans eleven thirty-three to thirty-six? Who's given to God that He should repay? Who has first given to me that I should repay Him? It's an interesting little quote that pops up in Romans eleven. Job is laying out, the book of Job is laying out the power of God. Paul, in summarizing his whole long gospel, throws out a quote from Job, one line. He puts it in there in his doxology. His God is too mysterious and beyond us. He seems to point back to Job. Verse 43, back to Leviathan, as he goes through it, he says, No creature is his equal. There's not any other animal that is more powerful or intimidating than Leviathan. And then in verse 5, which actually preceded it, this is what God said about him, though Can you play with him? And can you put him on a leash? Because that mighty Leviathan is my pet. I created him to enjoy the oceans he wasn't meant to terrify all of people he was meant to have the biggest aquarium for my pleasure but know this i have the power to put him on a leash and walk him actually to put him on a leash and have your girls walk him he's my plaything that's leviathan but not only does, Le- does Job speak of Leviathan as real, as well as Psalm 104 and even Psalm 74. I think this is what we're supposed to understand about Leviathan. It's God's power over him, certainly. But it's probably best to transliterate Leviathan, which is what the English translations have done. We're just going to take it and put it in English letters. It's Leviathan. It's a Hebrew word. And then our, our Culture has adopted it, actually. They don't know they're using a Hebrew word, and they don't realize what it means, but it's pointing to Job. It's best to transliterate it, unlike the Septuagint, although if you want to go with dragon, that's fine, and stick with Leviathan. It is a known-to-Job, fire-breathing, multi-headed, if you caught that, sea monster dragon beast that God can turn into a lapdog. That is Leviathan. It's the big sea monster. And God has it curl up when he wants to take a nap. Although God doesn't take a nap. But it's a picture for us. Come here, little Leviathan. Think of your tiny little, don't go with the chihuahua. They're terrifying. Well, maybe it is a chihuahua. Go with the chihuahua, all teeth and tiny little dog. And the master just calls the chihuahua over and he says, stop. Now come here and let me scratch your ears. Roll over and I'll tickle your belly. Hop up on me and you can go to sleep while I run the world. And God says, Job, that's my lap The Leviathan that terrifies you is my lap It's a second answer from God. It's powerful and amazing. And it points out he is the almighty. God is over everything. Our biggest beasts, our myths, if you want to go that way and you don't think it is a real animal that God's talking about, fine. It doesn't change the meaning that God is over our horror stories and he tames those beasts. That point stands too. There is nothing that should shake fear in us when God stands with us is the point. There's no pain, there's no news, there's no trouble, there's no beast, there's no need that should shake us from knowing the Almighty can handle our pain. But an all-powerful God would be more terrifying than Leviathan. Let me rephrase that. An all-powerful, unloving God would be more terrifying than Leviathan. That is the God that people have created. They've failed in the almighty part because they really don't understand a God of all power. But when they leave out the loving part, that is not a God you want any relationship with, except you're too afraid to tell him that to his face. But the God that we have is the God where you can tell him exactly that to his face. Job has just done that. Where are you, almighty? I need you to answer. And the wonderful thing is the almighty God looks at Job and says, I'm here to answer, but I don't think you understand the mighty. So let me remind you that I'm more powerful than this pain that you're going through. Because I'm more powerful than everything you've faced. I have you in my hand. It isn't just that God's almighty, it's that the almighty answers. That is a strong point throughout Job. It takes him two powerful responses to make it clear, Job, I've been listening, I've heard your pain, and I am the answer to the problem of pain, and I will answer you. Those of you that are going through pain and struggling and you don't know what to do with it, go to that first part where it just tells you what the power is, answer is going to be. And it says, then the Almighty answered. Latch on to that. Wrestle with God. Make declarations to him. Even if they're wrong, he will meet you because he loves you, and he will meet you in power because you need it. But the Almighty answers, and he is the answer to the problem of pain. Chapter 42 is going to wrap all of this up. I'm just going to read it, and I promise you two things right now. I'm not making a mistake. Well, that's next week's sermon. And the tech team didn't make a mistake because I'm going to read it wrong but that's next week's sermon. Here's the start to chapter 42. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've uttered what I do not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak I will question you, and you make it known to me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself, and I am consoled in dust and ashes. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant, Job, has. Let's pray. Lord, you are the God who can listen to our rantings and embrace us in a hug. You we're the God who sometimes has strong words for us, but then defends our cause to our friends that have become our attackers. You're the God who puts a leash on Leviathan, and we can't even imagine it being a real creature because of its description. You're the God who sustains the world, and you are the God who sustains us in the face of the worst of pains and struggles. And so we praise your name. We worship you, Lord. Amen.